Hello and welcome to Blooming Abroad, a podcast where we look deeper into the lives of Cullen, that's me, and Sarah, that's me, two ordinary Jesus followers trying to make a difference in Central and Eastern Europe. Broad listeners, Welcome. Sarah and Colin here. here Welcome we to episode three. We're back. We're back. La, la, la. Episode three. It's a spe- special episode. It's a spe- special three episode. Is a cool number, I guess. But yeah. Well, it's good to be back with you, people. We're doing. I this hope thing. you're having a delightful day so far. And we are sorry it's been a couple weeks, but we we warned you. Uh, not that sorry. I'm sorry. I kind of wanted to do this episode a little bit sooner. We just didn't didn't quite get around to it. Putting it off. Mm-hmm. We don't have a schedule, so that tends to happen. I have a schedule. Oh, okay. Good I like to know. To, I like to keep my days, you know, meticulously. No, uh, I meant for the podcast. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah that that is uh, an exception. To my otherwise overplanned lifestyle. Yep. Yep. But anywho, um, it's good to sit across from you, Sarah, and yeah. look at your delightful face. You too. Good to have you guys all here. It's kind of weird. I can't see you, but I just imagine the experience you might have. I always just picture like certain people just driving in their cars, and because we know what it's like to listen to podcasts while we're driving, especially. Yeah. And we also know there's people back home and different parts of the world even that are just moseying about with your your headphones in, you know, or maybe there's one of you that you you just you don't do anything. You just sit and listen to us. That makes me feel uncomfortable. That's a little weird, isn't it? (laughs) That makes me feel really uncomfortable. (laughs) Or maybe there's like some note takers out there. They're just like you know, that kind of personality where they just have to like, okay, I got a podcast. I got, you know, audiobook. I got to get my notepad out. That might be my mom. Taking notes. Yeah, it's very like possible. In like ways that she can pray for us. Yep, yep that, exactly. That would, be, that would be a poly thing to do. Yeah. Anyways, um, so let's get started, guys. Episode three of Blooming Abroad. Um, so why don't we, uh, why don't we do a little blooming around here? Yeah um sarah what do we got on tap for today's blooming around sesh well today we are going to be talking about uh in a unique way so it's not just multiple episodes of or multiple sections of storytelling we're gonna talk about our time in ukraine uh we spent uh, a little over a week ago we went to ukraine for a week and how about you tell a story of how that came about briefly Mm -hmm. and then we'll go into asking each other questions about the experience sounds good so in January, uh, shortly after we came back from the States, I think it was January or early February, I was at a meeting for uh, different leaders planning for summer camps. Oh, Mr. Copper decided to wake up. Yep. You want to join the podcast, buddy? Those are his nails on the floor. And you I'm sure that they are the bane of the existence for most of our neighbors downstairs. So. Yeah. But he has black nails. What can you do? And um, we've had bad experiences trimming them. He's been traumatized. We've been traumatized more than him. I don't know. Don't they, they don't have nerves in their nails. So, well, they do. They have arteries, but they it's not super painful. 
but yeah. it's painful to clean up blood from your clothes and from the floor yeah. and hold a, a puppy's paws in a bowl of flour to stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. Well, there's your how-to for the day, guys. <laughs> you have an animal. That was an interesting experience. Sarah, you want to get him a bone and... Yeah, sure, go ahead. Keep telling the story. I'll go get it for him. All right, dude. Enjoy your bone. Get out of here. Uh, so, yeah, so we were in... Um, I was in a meeting with a bunch of Hungarian social workers and camp leaders and stuff. And they were getting ready for this, uh, I don't know, like three months full of teams from America coming to do sports camps, language camps, all different things. And um, I was just getting a coffee and going to the bathroom out in kind of the office area. And I had a random chat with the, one of the leaders. It's the Hungarian um, Baptist Aid, which is a huge like charity service. Um, not explicitly like Christian, although that's how they were formed. It's just mostly a huge social work and humanitarian um, organization. So anyways, I was chatting with one of the leaders he was asking me some basic questions about me and Sarah and, you know, what brought us here. And so I told him that Sarah's a physician assistant and that we've been really looking for an opportunity for her to be able to practice medicine and serve people that way. And he said, well, you know, we, we're desperately in need of help. We need doctors, pharmacists, uh, nurses to go. Uh, we're sending teams every week. There's a new rotation of teams going into uh, Ukraine to try to help with international, internally displaced people. So people that have fled from the war zone, but they don't want to leave Ukraine. They've pretty much just set up um, their new home over the past few months. Um, has been in in Western Ukraine, which is called uh, trans. It's called Transcarpathia. Um, because of the Carpathian Mountains that kind of uh, run up along the border of Hungary, Poland, and Ukraine and Romania. Yeah, yeah, it's in Ukraine. So that's, yeah. So there's the a little bit of an intro there. But Sarah, what else? Um, so when Colin came back from that conference, uh, just asked me if I'd be open to the opportunity, since it is a medical team, um, that you know, just to see if I would want to go and kind of utilize my education and my experience since I haven't been able to do that since moving here. And it was obviously very interesting to me to be able to do that. Little tiny bit nervous, of course. I didn't really know. Uh, it's a lot of more family medicine, clinic medicine. So just a little bit of unfamiliar territory and uh, didn't know the team. Uh, didn't kind of know what the border and country situation was like. So little bit nervous, nothing too crazy, but um, when we met with Alicia, who is kind of one of the coordinators of this, um, she sold me on it, and I signed up for the team going last week, and, you know, at first, we, the conversations were um, me as a medical provider, but then we remembered that um, Cullen was a pharmacy tech hey, hey. Uh, back in the good old days. And yes. so with that experience, actually, he was really able to help the pharmacist on the team um, oh, yeah. in back in pharmacy. So that was really cool. So shout out Nadia, were... Melissa, Todd, Morgan, Allison. Thank you guys. Yeah. You know, your yeah. investment in my Oof. life has not been wasted. Exactly. So, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. For sure. And um instead of him being the husband of one of the medical providers, he was just as key as everybody else, which is amazing. So 
that was really cool. Um, so yeah, that's that's the main uh, kind of goal. We we saw people for about three days, saw about 30 people a day, give or take, um, of these kind of in internally displaced people and uh, trying to provide prayer support, emotional support, and of course, physical support with medications and donations and vitamins and those kind of things. Um, so for the next part of this talk, I want to just ask you, well, we want to ask each other some questions for some moments throughout our time there. Uh -huh. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? I'd like to start. Okay. So my first question for you is just in like, um, I don't know, in a short way, not because of time, but just because I want to hear like your initial the like, first responses. Uh -huh. I don't want to hear the thought out yeah, okay, version. Okay. What was it like for you crossing over that border? Hmm. Uh, very serious. Uh, when we got to, I mean, the Hungarian border wasn't as like the first Hungarian border because there's a Hungarian and of course Ukrainian border. We were going out of the EU, so the borders and going into a war-torn country, so the borders are quite strict and intense. The way in was serious, but okay, because we were with a diplomat uh, who had a diplomatic passport. The way out was much more intense and serious because we did not have the diplomatic passport with us. And yours truly was the translator. Yeah, that was interesting. For a group of uh, Sarah ten. and I and then eight yep. North Carolinians. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and we had to yeah. open every single suitcase. So that means... That was a fun language uh, experience. 15 to 20 suitcases that yeah. we had. So yes. So yeah, that was that was interesting. So yeah. Mm -hmm. What was a, mom a moment that you felt the most uncomfortable throughout the week? Um, you can't think border crossing because uh, we just talked about that. I would, I would say that when we were so throughout the week, each day uh, was a new village where we set up a different clinic. So we traveled a lot and I was most uncomfortable for sure at how often we got stopped by just there's soldiers everywhere and we were often just checkpoints everywhere and it was just an unsettling experience mm -hmm. to have you just you have to be in it and see it to experience it but yeah it's hard you like you know the feeling when you get pulled over by the police they come up behind you doesn't matter if you've done anything wrong you still feel that you know mm -hmm. that adrenaline it's the same idea um, when you're driving on a it's it's a similar but way heavier idea of when you're driving on a highway and you see a cop behind you with the lights turned on you're like oh no oh no oh no and then is they that blow for me past, is yeah. that for me and then they blow yeah. past you and you're like oh okay, okay. yeah yeah so but heavier even than yeah that. like but i didn't feel like i was doing anything wrong right, yeah, obviously right. we're there to help but it still had that same yep. kind of okay experience good um so Sarah, I know you talked a little bit about like past mission trips, mm. especially medical ones. Um, although there's great value in helping and doing something and getting out of your comfort zone, the way that like these kind of uh, mobile medical clinics experiences, kind of these outreach yeah. um, outreaches are planned, they're not always like they don't always seem to be extremely like useful. Mm -hmm. So. Can you just give me like one thing from the week that you were like, yes, that's, that was definitely useful. And then one area where you thought maybe 
yeah, unfortunately, this experience did kind of confirm that it maybe is not so useful. Hmm. Uh, or that, you know, overall, we know it's useful. Or that, that we're so limited, maybe. That sure. There's, yeah. yeah. How would you well, say that? And you you think more on the medical side of things versus Definitely. the whole week. Okay. Yeah, the whole week, I don't think we yeah. question the, the, the value, yeah. but just medically speaking. Yeah, I think, I guess, starting with a negative and ending with a positive, I think the thing that made me feel maybe not totally useless, but very limited and mostly useless was when I saw a 75 year old woman who was coming in with her blood pressure was almost, it was like 185 over a hundred, which is getting close to double what it should be. Um, and had probably rested that way for a long time, but now she's having chest pains, especially when she's exercising, headaches when her blood pressure is high, vision changes, those kind of things, which uh, if she came into my ER at Sparrow um, in Lansing, I would probably have to admit her to the hospital um, for a pretty extensive workup for her, um, starting her on a bunch of new medications, etc. But here I can, I put her on a baby aspirin, uh, started a very low dose blood pressure med because Otherwise, she doesn't have follow-up. Um, and then gave her some vitamins and, and diet tips and kind of sent her on her way and told her when to go to the hospital if need be. But it just felt like I couldn't do anything for her. Mm. Um, obviously, we have no imaging. We have no, you know, no, no studies that can be done. So that was kind of a feeling of, like, what are we actually doing? Are we putting a lot of Band-Aids on the problems? But then... Um, I discovered another patient, um, she actually had for any of the medical people out there listening to this, uh, she had erythema multiforme, which is a multiforme. Holiday who be what? (laughs) I know, I know. It's essentially an allergic reaction. One of the most common, um, it's, it's often delayed and it's one of the most, um, the most common cause of it is there's NSAIDs. There's a couple other medications, but she had the very, very typical, oh, sorry, uh, Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, um, so that means ibuprofen, one, one layer, naproxen. <laughs> uh, ibuprofen, naproxen ibuprofen. are the most okay. common okay. of those. Aspirin is actually an NSAID as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she had been taking ibuprofen for her cramps, and um, about a week later started developing this very kind of classic textbook, looks like a target lesion rash, literally looks like a target, like... They call it a target lesion rash for that reason. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and just immediately, like that keyword from PA school when we that we learned to study um, like keywords for the test, I just thought, that's it. Nailed Finally it. seen it. After four years of working in the ER, I've I'd never saw it. And so I was able to let her know, hey, because that can turn into a dangerous um, condition if you continue using NSAIDs after that and any allergic thing that, or anything that you're allergic to um, obviously is pretty dangerous to continue to put in your body. So I was able to warn her to never take NSAIDs again. So that kind of was one of those things where I'm like, oh, that was a very useful discovery mm-hmm. of possibly a life-threatening condition that could develop later. So so that was useful. Both and. Yeah. yeah, it worked out for the patient and it worked out exactly. for you and your future, the exactly. future of your medical career. Exactly. Um, so you did, you did go through the positive and the, yeah. the negative. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. Just, cool. and how about one more quick question for you? Yeah. One more question and then I'll yeah. kind of say a, a line or two just to sum up our, okay. our experience there. Um, 
when did you kind of, if you did, when did you feel the weight of kind of the war while we were there? Mm -hmm. You don't have to have felt it, but did you? And if so, then when? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question I'll, to, to, to sum this yeah, whole great. thing up, actually. Great. Um, I felt the weight of it when, like, obviously we were, we were hours away from the front line. Mm -hmm. So it's a big relatively safe. Still, we're inside of the borders of a country that's being invaded. However, um, you know, so we worked the leader of this, um, the, the humanitarian organization in that region. He's also a pastor. So he's a full-time humanitarian aid leader and also a full-time pastor. Uh, I felt the weight of the war when it was just he and I, like two days in, um, the team was exhausted, so they went back to the hotel. Sarah was helping um, one of the other American leaders organize meds or get things, you know, stocked up and stuff. So I had a chance to sit with, his name's Chaba, Pastor Chaba. And that was the moment that he kind of took his leadership hat, leader hat off, and we just were able to talk. And he didn't want everybody to know about this, but he, it's fine on this podcast because, you know, whatever. It's not like a safety thing. It's maybe just more of like a, he's very deeply saddened by it and he just doesn't, I don't think he can take a million people coming up and saying, you know, how sorry or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Prayers are with you, man. But for all you, this guy really needs your prayers. Um, he had to send his wife and his two-year-old little boy to Washington, D.C. just um, a week before we came. And the reason is that in that region, even though they're hours away from the conflict, the entire like um, electricity grid has been knocked out uh, of most of Ukraine since last September. And so even in the most western part of the country, they're working off of a maximum of two hours of actual electricity daily. So there's lots of generators that are being used. Many of them are not, you know, American Tractor Supply Co. They're they're pretty cheap. They're old. They're not working so well. And it just got cold. And his little boy was getting sick. And he just kind of said enough is enough. Like, you guys got to get out of here. And he is totally alone. This guy's working like 80 hours a week and he's trying to serve God and he's trying to take care of all of the, I think, 4 million people who are now living in his region. They've moved from across the country. There's been an exodus because of the war and not, not all of that 4 million are still there. They've, they've maybe gone to other countries, but over the past, I mean, year, he has somehow had to deal with that situation so food drives i mean setting up just shelters. warehouses and shelters and going in and trying to recruit medical medical people and his job has expanded to what what 20 people probably couldn't be able to do and now he's alone and he just kind of finished his story and his i just asked him how are you and hungarian he speaks hungarian ukrainian english and uh i just asked him you know, how, how are you? And I think when you ask that question in Hungarian, it's it's deeper. Mm -hmm. When you look someone in the eyes, it's not like us as Americans. How are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Right. 
no, for him, he realized, okay. Hats off. Let me, let me share how I'm doing. Yeah. And so alone and uh, we left the table, that little cafe, and he went home to wash his clothes in the dark all alone. So that's when the weight of the war uh, fell on, onto my, my shoulders. And, and that's why for you praying people out there, Pastor Chaba in Ukraine uh, needs your prayers. So remember him if, if you would. But yeah, overall, I'm so grateful that we had that opportunity. Me too, me too. Um, to see and to have that life experience and to do something small um, for a part of the world that has, has many needs. So hopefully we can continue that relationship and find some ways up the road to continue to serve him and, and, and resource and, and, and actually maybe even be there a time or two again before mm -hmm. we, we move back to the States. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of a wrap for Bloomin' Around. Uh, shifting um, into story time with Sarah. Um, just a reminder, guys, you hear it in the intro and the outro, but Blooming Abroad is a chance for Sarah and I really to just bring you guys deeper into our lives. Not because we're incredible, amazing, awesome people, but because we think that what we're doing here is unique and different. Uh, it, it breaks up the norm. Mm -hmm. And we can only compose these stories and experiences uh, only so well in the limited space that uh, emails or update posts uh, are able to, to do. And so uh, Storytime with Sarah today is a chance for her to share deeper about one of the most challenging moments um, and, and really it's ongoing parts of our, our journey here in Hungary, very deep and personal. Yeah. So, and you guys, maybe if any of you know yeah. me, you know how difficult that can be for me to go deep and personal and talk about my feelings. It's she's, got kind of a lump in got, my stomach. She's got to get those feelings out, Ugh. but it's worth it. And this, it this, this platform is perfect for this. It is. So, it is. And go I've got a lump there. in my stomach, but I'm also absolutely starving, which is not like a good oh, place. <laughs> so a little hangry and nervous about talking about feelings. We'll get you some but... food after we Oh, great. Something out. to look forward to. So this past, um, I guess it would be about three months has been in, I mean, the hardest three months of my life so far to date, I can say pretty confidently. Um, the whole time we've been here, of course, we've had our challenges and kind of our ups and our downs, but the lowest and the most challenging point was, um, well, yeah, December 2nd, I'll start with the punchline, I guess. Um, December 2nd, we suffered a miscarriage. We, it was quite a shock to both of us um, mm -hmm. because we discovered we were pregnant at kind of the beginning of, beginning, middle of October. Um, very excited, of course, nervous, all the normal feelings that come with discovering that we're pregnant, especially in a foreign country. There is, for me, qu quite a few intense uh, fears, I guess, if I had to say it, uh, honestly, with having a baby in a different country, even consideration of moving back early to the States to have the baby in the States and just lots of practical implications, financial and that kind of thing, living off of support of a low hourly salary and, and supporters, quite a few things going through my mind. Um, and kind of just the practical thoughts, you know, being medical, I kind of was going through each phase, kind of thinking through even how big the baby was developmentally, thinking first trimester, just don't go, don't get too 
This sounds maybe bad, but don't get too kind of emotionally attached until you're in the second trimester. Um, and I also started experiencing some decrease in my symptoms of kind of nausea, headache, and fatigue that I was having. So when I went to see the doctor, he put me on progesterone. Um, first ultrasound was totally normal. Heartbeat was strong and amazing. Uh, then two weeks, he said, I'll schedule an ultrasound two weeks later. Um, to just recheck since my symptoms were decreasing. That was always a, you know, concerning sign um, in the first trimester, especially. So symptoms started coming back pretty strongly, um, had that two week follow-up. Again, normal ultrasound, that was right around nine weeks, um, give or take a few days. And um, everything was going well. So he said, come back for kind of the routine ultrasound around 12 weeks and we'll see you then continue taking the progesterone. So throughout that three weeks, my brain, uh, the last week, kind of week 11, um, I started to have a decrease in symptoms again, but in my mind, I'm getting pretty close to second trimester, so I wasn't thinking much of it. And so when we went for the third ultrasound, I think it was like 11 weeks, five days, um, when, we, when I saw the ultrasound, I kind of immediately knew I could see that there was no movement, no heartbeat, and no growth um, from about nine weeks, so right after the second ultrasound. So for me, I didn't have any symptoms, um, and I was it was pretty unexpected. And unfortunately, at that point, and you can chime in here, babe, if you would like, but at, at that point, um, Colin was still parking the car. They got me in incredibly quickly, mm -hmm. um, and he had already seen two ultrasounds, so he wasn't as much of an, in a hurry and was parking the car. And I got in, I didn't even wait at all. I literally just walked into the office. And so this was going on while he was still outside. And so yeah, that experience being alone was pretty intense. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe it was a good thing. I, I'm not really sure a hundred percent. But I think that was a pretty overwhelming experience kind of getting getting back, you know, everything back in order and sitting in the chair. And I had even, it took even long enough for me to essentially have stopped crying by the time Cullen came in. And when Cullen came in, of course, the minute that we lock eyes, the tears flow again and he knew. Mm -hmm. um, so most of the feelings that I've been having, like the feeling then around the time I was angry at everyone and everything. Uh, I was angry at the doctor, even though he had nothing to do with it. Um, I was just angry at the situation. Uh, and so for the next 24 hours, I mean, it was just overwhelming grief, just yeah. sadness, uh, wanting to not see anybody, not talk to anybody, not do anything. Um, but then I also didn't want to sit in my sadness. So it was kind of this weird, weird push and pull, but my brain, my brain could accept it from a scientific standpoint, but, and my brain often takes over when intense emotions come. And I think it just said, well, there's nothing you can do about it now. Mm -hmm. Um, so move on. Um, and in some respects I've accepted it, but in other, other aspects, I think I've pretty much just kind of shoved some of those deep feelings aside. The other part of that, of that day that was really difficult was um, I had to go through a surgery that day. Yeah. So it was not only emotionally draining, but very physically draining, like a full, you know, anesthesia 
surgery with physical changes, hormonal changes throughout the next day. I mean, it was just, it was a lot to handle all in one day. Um, unfortunately, the place that we went was a private clinic, and so it was all pay up front. So even financial stress, we had to talk to our insurance person, tell her what happened, and it was just just one of those things. I was angry at her. I was angry even, at the situation. We didn't even have enough money to pay for the surgery. No, we didn't. And so we had to, <laughs> we had to ask get for like help. a payment plan because we hadn't met our deductible yet. And so it was just this, and we didn't have maternity coverage and can't add it after the fact that you find out you're pregnant. And so it's just this, it's just a headache and a half of stuff that I didn't feel like I should be dealing with in this moment or yeah. on this day. Yeah. And I was just angry at her. I was angry at the insurance thing. I was angry at our financial situation. I was angry at the doctor. I was angry at the whole office for the whole, yeah, you have to pay up front thing. I was just every, every part of me was just mad at people who didn't deserve my anger. It had nothing to do with them. Angry of course, at the situation. I was just displacing anger onto, yeah. onto people who happened to be there during the situation. So... That was, uh, was more than justified. Yes. And we had already planned, so kind of an interesting timing factor, we had already planned to come home for Christmas before we found out we were pregnant. So us coming home for Christmas had nothing to do with the pregnancy, but then, of course, when we found out, we thought, oh, perfect timing. I'll be about 14, 15 weeks. Um, and so then when that happened, it was kind of like, well, why did that timing seem so perfect? And I think it was also, I think it was because... We ended up going back to about two weeks after the miscarriage happened um, to get supported by our family and friends throughout yeah. a really hard time. So, yeah. you know, we look at timing one way and God sees it another way. And so that was kind of difficult to deal with. Um, and I think since then, the main struggle I've been having can pinpoint it exactly almost to that day is kind of just this over, like underlying constant low level with some spikes feeling of just a pressure in my chest and anxiety a sadness kind of a feeling of wanting to withdraw from yeah and a numbness as well mm -hmm. i i have those feelings but yeah just kind of a nothing can get me happy nothing can get me super down but nothing can get me super up either and that's a change because before it didn't take much at all for no. you to get super up no i'm usually quite full of full of, of joy. joy and excitement yeah. and um so that's been a that's been an interesting change for me i used an analogy of it feels like uh it's like a train tracks in a desert most of me is a desert with my and i have a very very just limited range between the two lines of the train track that's like my range of emotions i can feel a little bit sad or frustrated and i can feel just like a little bit excited but it's just kind of within that and the rest of it's just kind of a surrounding desert of almost nothing um and so that's been difficult for me um mm -hmm. with not really feeling high highs or low lows i don't experience a lot of low lows in my life anyway mm -hmm. um, but the high highs are now missing yeah um which is is it, it is a time to learn there is a time to kind of reflect in those periods and um reflect with the high highs not fake but were they was it just seeking high like jumping from high high to high high and kind of missing out on some of the lows uh or vice versa you know people a lot of people kind of jump from low lows and kind of jump over the high highs because they are used to being low and so i don't know i've just been kind of reflecting on how that mm -hmm. 
it has affected me. There's no, no doubt about it. Um, other factors, of course, other surrounding circumstances don't, haven't helped the situation of just being in a challenging, living in a different country, away from sure. our family and- Already just a, a low le level right. of anxiety and, and the baseline right. of stress. Language barriers and cultural yes. barriers yes. and yes. barriers for the projects that we're doing and financial, you know, fundraising and financial Communication stress stuff and, and communication. more work and extra effort. Yeah, so all of that. And so now it's like, I don't even really wanna be around anybody that takes because i don't have much emotional um capacity right now and so then mm -hmm. in stressful situations like big meetings and around kids who don't speak english i don't really have my, my rope is a lot shorter and <laughs> yeah. i just like don't want to be in any situation that causes any extra emotional or mental energy because i don't really have much to spare yeah now so that's kind of really been what i've been dealing with the past few months so can I ask you a couple questions? Absolutely. First question is, okay, so you had a miscarriage in another country. Yeah. I mean, that's a wild statement that most people will never make in their lives. What did you learn about yourself? What happened in you that surprised you? What did you discover that you're, you were capable of that you didn't think you were maybe capable of? Well, one thing that I maybe knew like a hint of is how strong my mind can control everything else. Mm -hmm. My mind is my dominating force. It always has been. So that's not 100% new information. But I have been fortunate enough to not face a large amount of uh, trials or like tribulations maybe throughout my life. I've been really blessed. I haven't even experienced a lot of death in my life. It's mm -hmm. been... I, it's amazing for me to be able to say that, but I did not know kind of the depth of the amount, the control that my brain has over everything else. Yeah. My logic and my reasoning and my practicality mm -hmm. uh, really overpowered. Um, and I think that my, I am now feeling the consequences of that, of not feeling the emotions during like not facing them and processing them yeah i'm it's now coming out in other ways uh -huh. so i was just surprised at how strong my brain I, I just remember just flipping a switch and it just kind of was not over but i remember it was almost exactly a week and then it was all right i'm fine yeah we're I good remember, i remember that yeah that, that kind of that kind of shift yeah um so the next question is just uh what did you learn about us? Mm. Well, I think we're pretty cool and I think we're pretty strong. That was, it was really um, bonding mm -hmm. in a obviously traumatic bonding way, but it was, it was bonding to see how strong like you were throughout all of that. Just mm -hmm. this kind of constant presence. Of course you were sad, but um, really focusing on me, which was really amazing. Um, not that I didn't expect that from you, because that's pretty standard fare for you, but it just, it's in, it's kind of, I don't know if you can put a word to it or words to it, but it's like an indescribable, like bonding experience. Yeah. Um, strength that, yeah, just how strong we were, because I think a lot of people go through that and it can really put a wedge. It can, doesn't mm -hmm. always, of course, but it, it can. Um, mm -hmm. And, 
of course, I already knew this, but that we process things very differently. You, you do a better job of processing your feelings in the moment. Um, and so I really respected that. And I just like couldn't do it. <laughs> Even though I knew there was feeling to process, my brain knows that. My whole yeah. body, I knew that I had feelings that I hadn't processed, but I like, I, there, I, could, I didn't even know how to yeah. do it. Didn't want to because it was scary, but also like, even if I sat down and was willing to do it, I didn't even know how to do it. You kind of went was... into, yeah, it was like there was a program. Like, yeah. It's like you had to swap out, swap out the uh, the flash drives. Yeah. Like put put the sort of like. To like recreate my whole software. It was like reboot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there yeah. Is. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was, and I, so I learned that about, I guess, you more specifically. But that, I I do think we communicate quite well. By the we... way, you're not a robot. Oh, thank you. You're Appreciate not a that robot. Sometimes, you know. Oh, I can feel like one. You guys. The way that I process things. You guys things. know Sarah well enough to know that. She definitely is one of the smartest people you'll ever meet. Oh, but wow. that also, I, I'm, I'm, I'm often kind of challenging her a little bit to not yeah not just get so swept up in the narrative that you're only a thinker yeah because you have deep emotions and yeah, the world around you is much them. more joyful like yeah. you are a ray of sunshine yeah and you light up a room um, but it's not just joy you yeah. have a depth to you that you're just exploring and so i think that was a pretty uh pretty much one of the most painful experiences yeah. of our lives but yeah. one of the most beautiful yeah um if i were to in in detail and vividly describe some of those key moments of that day uh, i guarantee there wouldn't be a dry eye in yeah. the room um, because that's the kind of stuff that you just could never ever plan or imagine for something like that yeah but it is truly amazing how you can just surprise yourself at how much resilience is is just has pulled up deep inside of you mm -hmm. and i think we were able to recognize that wow this was a beautiful gift yeah and uh we we purposefully off uh, through the the few weeks you know almost you know almost three months that we had to to know that we were pregnant that sarah was you know growing a, a little person inside of her really god was growing that little person um but when we realized that it was we called this this one little one so mm -hmm. it's pretty special you know and we have little ones birthday marked on the calendar and and we'll celebrate mm -hmm. and uh yeah i just imagine you know what it's going to be like one day when we get to heaven and we can i really believe that uh I don't know. It's weird, but I think that the first, I think little one would, would have been a was it was a girl. Mm -hmm. I just had like some dreams and little things. Maybe you guys yeah. think I'm weird, but um, so I've had these these really pictures uh, after the miscarriage that have really set me at peace to just imagine this beautiful, this beautiful sweet little, uh, little little girl dancing around um, with no worries and no pain and. Mm -hmm. didn't have to go through all this yeah. so anything else no Sarah? that's my story time okay thanks for um, your questions oh sure thing yeah yeah it's been a couple months huh
It has been a couple months. So, shifting into our bloomin' onion, I just wanted to take a couple minutes and teach you guys a couple of phrases, both in Ukrainian and in Hungarian. So, if you forgot, bloomin' onion is kind of an opportunity for us to share something of cultural, of language, of societal, of historical value from this region of the world, from the Central Eastern European region. So since we were just in Ukraine, I learned some Ukrainian. And since we've been living in Hungary, I have learned a lot of Hungarian. And so I wanted to just teach you some of these languages and then share a little bit about why that's these languages are really important for this region of the world. So um, get, get your pause buttons ready. Because I'm going to say it to you, and I'm going to expect you to repeat it after me. The first um, phrase that I'm going to teach you is just simply how to say hello in Hungarian and Ukrainian. So, hello in, in Hungarian is see ya. So you can say see ya. It's not so hard. Or hello. Or <laughs> hello. Uh -huh. Because they say their vowel is different. So you can say hello. In Ukrainian, it's a little bit more complex, but hello or a greeting in Hungarian is Dobredain. You mean in Ukrainian? You, yes, Ukrainian. Did I say Hungarian? Yes, you did. Okay, hello in Ukrainian. It's because I was thinking and trying to make sure. Because this, <laughs> this is new for me. In Ukrainian is Dobredain. Dobredain. Make sure you roll your R there. It's really important. I think I may have been saying it wrong. I thought it was Dobrodane. I think I think it sounds great. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> so you can fact check us. Okay. But it's something like that. The next, I'll just share with you how to say thank you. Super easy here. So Hungarian. easy. Oh, so easy. Thank you in Hungarian is... Kusanam. One more time. Kusanam. Beautiful. Thank you. And thank you in Ukrainian is Yokoyo. <laughs> so easy. It's a G-Y Yokoyo. Yokoyo. Not hard at all, right? <laughs> Wonderful Slavic rooted language uh -huh. there. And finally, the third phrase to teach you today is simply how to say goodbye. In Hungarian, it is Vislat. <laughs> or Vislatashra. Ooh. Say that five times fast. Vislatashra. Vislatashra. That's the most formal way of saying goodbye. And Vislat is v short for that. Vislat? Mm -hmm. That's incorrect, my dear. Vislat. 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 All these years you've been saying it wrong. Vislat. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. finally, goodbye in Ukrainian is, this is the fun one, took me a, a whole week to learn. I'm not even going to try it. Dopo bacinia. No, thank you. Dopo bacin. Say it after me. Dopo bacin. Dopo bacin. Thanks, everybody. So the reason why this is important and why I wanted to share it with you for today's short little bloomin' onion segment 
because... not so short anymore. I don't care. I like this kind of stuff. Little history lesson for you. Um, reading from vividmaps.com. Article. Way, way to cite your sources. Good job. I don't want to get sued. I, that's true. Uh, article by Alex titled Hungarian Maps from 1920 Protesting the Treaty of Trianon. So let me just read here for you for a minute here, folks. Austro-Hungarian Empire was a constitutional monarchy that appeared in Central and Eastern Europe in 1867. Skipping forward. <laughs> Austria had a population of 29 million in 1910. And this is World War I time, guys. So this treaty was just drawn up as a result of the end of World War I. So I'm not going to get into all the numbers here. Hungary had a population of 21 million in 1910 and an area of 325,000 square kilometers. That's 125,000 and change square miles. Um, just summarize it. Give your well. This article was the summary, but I just <laughs> lost within the. Just explain the. Okay, the here it is. Thing. Here it is. This is all I'm going to read to you. The Treaty of Trianon was the Peace Act of 1920 that ended World War One within the Allies of World War One and the Inheritor States to the Austria-Hungarian Empire. Allies. Good guys, Austria-Hungarian Empire, bad guys. The treaty set the status of a sovereign Hungary and established its boundaries. The country lost nearly 75% of its territory. Yeah. Say that again? How much? The country lost nearly 75% That's of its territory. Nuts. It left Hungary as a landlocked country that covered 90 I'm not going to do the kilometers. 35,000 square miles. Only 28% of the 300... Only 28% of that was remaining. Yeah. After the redrawn borders. Yikes. So basically what that means, modern day language, and this is all I'm going to say about it, is that hung the Hungarian-Austrian Empire in the early... Uh, Only 1900s. a little over hundred years ago. hundred years ago. hundred and ten years. Yeah, hundred and thirteen yeah. years ago. No, hundred and three years. Yeah. But um, so basically, Hungarian Austrian Empire took up modern day Austria, modern day Hungary, all the way down and up to the I don't know what that sea is, but the the border of Croatia, all of Croatia was was Hungary, all most all of Romania, half of Romania was hungarian and then most of poland was austria whatever it's kind of hard but basically they wanted to redraw this based on Wood woodrow wilson's 14 points because within this big empire there was like 10 different groups of people that were being oppressed germans hungarians czechs slovaks poles ukrainians uh romanians italians and it, the list kind of goes on so the idea was that this redrawing of the map would give them more independence. The problem is it applied to everybody except for Hungary. And there's a deep history here, but the, the, the reality is that where we were at in Ukraine, 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 <laughs> <laughs> it was so fascinating. Like I said, with pastor Chaba, he speaks 
on an hourly basis, he's switching between Hungarian, Ukrainian, and English because of the people that occupy that area. Because the lines got redrawn, but people didn't change. Yeah, people they didn't move back within and, the lines. Yeah. And found, yeah, and the... The 30 million people didn't, in that 75% greater area, didn't just move into the 25% exactly. now. So... So yeah, it's a complicated situation, even over a hundred years later. It's a very complicated situation. Modern day legislation from the Ukrainians, even pre-war, uh, was moving towards an outlawing of speaking uh, Hungarian in, in any schools within Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, so we we see this kind of language challenge all across the world with um, wars and colonization and different redistribution of land based on war and conflict but it's um i don't know i i spent more time on that than i typically do for our our bloom and onion section but i just find this to be such an intriguing topic that still has such implications on this region so if you guys want to research this more go ahead and just do a google search treaty of trianon and kind of look a little bit deeper into the impacts of it um so yeah, there's that for you. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I know I did. Yeah, there's just so much there. And I, I get into this history stuff. So yeah. All right. So um, story time with Cullen. Um, really what I want to do is I just want to share the story that Sarah alluded to from um, that really difficult day where, um, where the miscarriage happened. Um, so Sarah, Sarah said that I, uh, was parking the car and I was late and that was really hard for me, uh, for, for multiple reasons. Obviously you never want to go through that alone and you never want your bride to go through that alone. And it broke my heart, obviously to get the, the sad news, but it really broke my heart in the moment to see that she 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 had to sit there on the couch alone for a few minutes 10 minutes probably mm -hmm. so yes it's true that i had to park the car further away than than usual um it took me it took me a long time to get to a parking spot but i was having a bad week and i didn't just park the car and then rush in as sarah said i thought it was just business as usual so i parked the car but um I, I came across a coffee shop on the corner near where I parked the car. And it was about an eight minute walk, I think, eight or 10 minutes. But I just needed to get my, you know, I needed to get my, uh, my shiz together. And so I stopped. In and the, you're talking emotionally now. I just. And mentally. And, I just needed to collect yeah, myself yeah, yeah, from yeah. A, a tough week. I just was all over the place and I was stressed to the max and. That was the first time I wasn't running a thousand miles an hour. I didn't sleep very good at all the night before. And so, okay, let me grab a, let me grab a, a cappuccino. And uh, I didn't eat breakfast because we were rushing. So let me grab a little something they've got at the counter. Oh yeah. Also, I was starving at that point too. We had not eaten since dinner the night before and it was maybe noon at that point. So... Yeah, yeah, which it does was a play huge, a factor for both of us. It was a yeah. huge blessing, though, because then Sarah actually could get the procedure the day of instead of it kind of looming over us. 
So we're grateful for that. But that was brutal. Yeah. Like hangry to the max. But luckily for me, I was able to get a cappuccino and a little uh, uh, cranberry uh, almond white chocolate cookie. <laughs> so I, I, for you. Great breakfast. I, I said, I just chatted with the barista for a sec. I grabbed the cappuccino, little cookie, and I was just a block from the river. And so I walked to the river and just, I'm just going to slug this coffee, you know, hammer down this cookie and then I'll get in there. But I was just really looking out at the river. I mean, it's literally one of the most scenic and beautiful places you could stand in Budapest. And I just was honestly just kind of crying out to God. And I simply was just asking him, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? And it was just just one of those moments. I didn't get any answers. I just didn't need any answers. I didn't want any answers, really. I just wanted to just let somebody know that, man, I just hate feeling this way I don't know I can't explain it all but it was just a hard week and it didn't seem like things were changing anytime soon so I was just struggling and so I don't know probably stood there for five minutes max and then got inside as quick as I could but it was still 10 minutes that that Sarah was there so not only did I realize wow I I she had to deal with this alone but while she was getting this news I was you know having a pity party um where one might say having a pity party, another might say putting on your ox oxygen mask so that you can be responsible to those that need you. Um, but nonetheless, it made me feel like crap. Honestly, for half that day, the rest of that day, I didn't feel too good about that because I just, you know how it goes. Just should have been there, you know. What were you doing, dude? And your internal monologue tends to beat yourself up. That's in true. In moments like that. It's not always, but I, but, but I really didn't No, just like just it, for was, a small period it was, of time, it was healthy and I yeah. just was like, yeah, I'm not going to feel bad about that. Like, yeah, I need to take care of myself sometimes, you know, like yep. I can't just be this kind of hero all the time. And yep. anyways, so I wanted to just share that piece of it because it's important. So Sarah also said that, you know, after a few days, so, so we, we came home to, to our home that night after a very long day. And we spent the next day here, but then we decided to get an Airbnb in Budapest. Mm -hmm. So I think from like the Sunday late afternoon, so that was on a Friday that that all happened. And so from like Sunday late afternoon until I think Wednesday, we stayed in Budapest with Copper and we just needed a new change of pace and just new scenery. And I remember that Wednesday morning when we woke up, there was a, there was a shift that we felt lighter, didn't feel so heavy. And I, I went for a run. Sarah really wanted to go check out the Christmas markets. And I really wanted a bagel. Yes. That, I have that was so hard big, to find bagels. Big cravings was bagels and, oh, and bacon and cream, and cream cheese. cheese. Yep. So Sarah and, and Copper went to the Christmas market and I went for a run. And one of the the only impending thing that we had to take care of was we needed to pay off the second installment on the hospital bill to pay off the, the surgery and stuff. We could have done it over the phone, but we've had a lot of issues with that. I just didn't want it to drag out. So I didn't really think of it when I went out for the run, but I was running along the river and I just 
came right up to the roundabout and I knew I was like, wow, I'm like, you know, 150 feet away from the hospital, uh, the doctor's office. And I didn't even realize I was going that direction. So I thought, okay, let me just go and pay this off. This will be good for Sarah to not have to go back in there and it'll, it'll be fine. I was very appreciative, by the way. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> but I also realized I didn't have a card on me, just my Apple Pay. And so I had this little voice is like, oh, it's not going to work. Like, just just take care of it another time. And I just thought, no, I'm going to try it. It's worth it to try and take care of it so we can just be done with it. And it ended up all working out. Um, it was a really refreshing moment of closure for me. And I came out of the hospital building. I walked out the front doors and I looked to my left and then I looked to my right. And I tell you, it was almost like the Holy Spirit or something. I, I'm not sure how to really describe it, but it was as if I was kind of, I had a very clear thought, just cover the front of my mind, the front of my consciousness, just walk back down the road that you came from. And that practically meant just walk back down the sidewalk. So I started walking down the side, okay. And it was like one thing led to another and the breadcrumbs just kept getting dropped before me go back into that cafe. I go back in the cafe. I just was sensing that it was really important that I just sort of closed the circle. So I went in the cafe and lo and behold, it was the same lady, same barista. She recognized me because of my English. I said, you know, good, good morning. Not, and not because you're handsome. Not because mm -hmm. I'm a handsome. Okay. But thank you. Yep. So... <laughs> So I asked her if she remembered me. She said she did. And I said, you're a barista, right? You like stories. And she said, yes, of course. And I said, okay, I have a story for you. Last Friday, you were one of a handful of people that shared with me one of the worst days of my life. And she said, really? I said, yeah. I said, I'm not going to tell you everything, but... Last last Friday, my wife and I, we lost a baby. We were at the, at the hospital down the street there. And I just wanted to tell you, I just wanted to say thank you because um, you shared that day with me. And it wasn't a hard day, but I just paid off the bill and I sort of felt this sort of guiding, this guidance to come back to the place where the day started. And so I wanted to come back. I, I'm here for a reason. I just wanted to tell you, thank you. You know, and I also want to tell you that on the days that you think that being just a barista is, is worthless or that you could be doing something better, you actually have a huge opportunity. You get to see people. You get to talk to people. You get to be a part of really bad days and really good days with people. And you might never hear about it because oftentimes we're just stopping to grab a cup and then getting on our way and they're just the friendly person at the counter you know that pulls the shots and steams the milk but for me you're a really important person that I'll never forget and by this time our eyes were full of tears and I said so I just wanted to ask if I could get a cappuccino and a raspberry white chocolate almond cookie because uh, I just want to have the exact same thing one more time 
and she made me the coffee and she gave me the cookie and said it's it's on it's on me this is a gift for you and i don't really know if she's a person of faith or what but she looked at me and she stared right in my eyes and she said i want you to know you will get back everything that you lost and i didn't expect that but that really changed me and that was basically our goodbye so i went back to the river and i I slugged my coffee and I ate my cookie and I finished my run. And um, I don't have some great like punctuation for this story. And I know we're over on time, but for me, I think it's just really important to bring things full circle. And I definitely wouldn't have done it on my own. So I'm thankful to God for sort of guiding me in that process. And I know Sarah's Things are coming around full circle for her in her own way, in her own time. But maybe you guys are out there and you've got something that you're dealing with. And um, and maybe it could be helpful for you to somehow come full circle with that thing that's really been really been tearing at you or, or bringing you down or that, that lingering situation. Um, so whatever it may be, you know, just maybe explore that for your own, what that looks like. Because it was really helpful for me and I just see it as such a big gift from God that he he would just kind of guide me and nudge me down the sidewalk that day. So so I wanted to share that with you. Um, thanks for hanging out a few extra minutes with us. Yeah, on, on we only do this every three. few weeks. We can do it an hour. It's, it's fine. Yeah, well, we did a lot better this week. Uh, I did a lot better this week of not doing like 15 minute checks and like. Oh, okay, God. we've got 30 more <sighs> seconds. Oh, it's been over five minutes. Sorry, I'll make this short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think if people are listening, another 15 minutes is, um, I don't think the people listening really care. So if you care, please let us know. If you don't care, please let us know, <laughs> I guess. And it's encouraging that you don't care that we go 15 minutes extra. Uh, it's just encouraging that you guys listen yeah. to us and message us too. It's, uh, so many people, uh, oh my gosh, what's the next one? Or, oh, we listen, surprising people. So, and then there's a lot of you that we have no idea. So, right. so here it is. Just take it and hopefully enjoyed it for, for the past hour. Um, without further, further ado, further ado, um, just want to say thank you guys. And yeah, thank you guys for listening. Hope that you have a blessed week and, and, um, tune in next time for Blooming Abroad, a podcast where we look deeper into the lives of Colin and Sarah, two ordinary Jesus followers trying to make a difference in Central and Eastern Europe. Thanks, guys. Over and out. See you next time.